You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. Later in the program, we have A Few Minutes with the Mayor, a bi-weekly segment where we ask Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about community issues. More on that in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the EPA recently announced that it will enforce pollution regulations onto Indiana's coal-fired power plants in order to stop groundwater contamination. WFHB's Nathaniel Vinesapple has more in the bottom half of the show. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Stormwater Management Board meeting on January 12th, MS4 Coordinator Kelsey Thetonia introduced the 2022 Memorandum of Understanding between the Monroe County Stormwater Management Board and the Monroe County Soil and Water Conservation District. Um, So this MOU has been largely unchanged from the previous year's MOUs. Some of the changes I did bring to you back in July of last year. So this shouldn't look new to you. I did change a few things to kind of update it a little bit and fill out some of the language. Um, So thank you, Martha, for providing some of these edits to us to provide more detailed information on this. So again, you did see this last July. um, And this is for the MOU to the SWCD, where the Stormwater Board will provide $35,000 annually for their stormwater grants program. Soil and Water Conservation District Manager Martha Miller shared the work they have been doing that the MOU helps support. Uh, Some of the things that we have going currently, um, we're excited that uh, these grants were still pursued and being able to implement during the last couple of years during the pandemic and all, but uh, we are excited about that. We also uh, started in 2020, the spring of 2020, doing a critical area seeding program. So um, we limit producers to three acres and um, they can get seed to cover areas that have been heavily um, used during the winter months for particularly for livestock. But there are some other instances where these can play too. And it stabilizes the area so that the eroding of the soil or soil loss is not as significant. Um, I did send a report of our 2021, where we had put projects on the ground and how much we had used to do that with. Um, We are hiring a uh, conservation resource technician um, with a grant that we got from the state of Indiana. That'll be for three years for salary, and we hope to work with the county to maybe get that to be a permanent position at the end of the three years, if we can show the need. Um, I don't think that'll be a problem. A big chunk of what they'll do is help us execute these, get the word out more, um, 
and help private landowners who have these issues that are affecting our stormwater. Board member Tron Enright Randolph suggested that the application form for the grants could be more efficient in the future and noted that the program has really improved over the years. I'd be really curious, and this is just kind of to plant a seed, is um, the form as you go through the packet and you start seeing how you're structuring that form. Um, that form could maybe have some of that GIS integrated into it, like a survey one, two, three. And so you might be, you know, able to kind of achieve two goals at, at one point of contact. So as they're filling up the form, they might be able to provide a lot of that back end work that you do probably after everything's said and done. So just wanted to plant that seed and it's really, really easy. And now that you kind of have a, a, a nice structure, you know, it, it just makes everything easier and easier and it'll, it'll reduce your time and effort too. So I just wanted to make that comment and I, uh, I appreciate that. Tell you how nice it is to see this come along from the last four years or so. So <laughs> it's great. And I was really excited to see that people are still participating. I was looking at a couple of them and I saw one that was dealing with some erosion control and that's pretty awesome. The next Monroe County Stormwater Management Board meeting will be on February 9th. During public comment at the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on January 12th, County Resident Margaret Clements thanked the commissioners for listening to their constituents about the annexation of county lands into the city of Bloomington. Uh, my name is Margaret Clements, and I'm here to thank you for your good work in helping um, helping us with uh, expressing the will of the people against annexation. Some preliminary numbers have come in from the auditor, and in most annexation areas, uh, over 70% of the public has expressed that they do not wish to be annexed. In some cases, it's well above 80%. In one area, area 1C, 89.5% of the people have expressed their will that they not be annexed into the city of Bloomington. The commissioners heard from Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative Coordinator Christine McAfee about a grant the probation department received. So we were given $95,000 in bonus grants. And what we were awarded the money to do is to continue the work that we're doing with CCLP, which is the Center for Children's Law and Policy. And you might remember they did an equity assessment for needs and services really to build up our diversion opportunities for kids and families in the community. They wrote a wonderful report. They gave us six or seven very, very specific um, recommendations. And this money will help us move that those recommendations from being on paper to being in our community. Commissioner Penny Gethins supported the work the grant would help fulfill. I also like the focus on the family that is that you're taking. And you know we've been doing a lot of things with our criminal justice uh, reforms here. And this certainly speaks to that intercept zero that we've been talking about, that we keep people out of the criminal justice system. Uh, I think this is 1,000% the way that we should be addressing things. So I'm really glad that, that you're able to continue with this group. The next county commissioner's meeting will be held on January 19th.
EPA recently announced that it will enforce pollution regulations onto Indiana's coal-fired power plants in order to stop groundwater contamination. WFHB environmental news correspondent Nathaniel Weinzapple discusses what this means for both the environment and Indiana residents. Last week, the United States Environmental Protection Agency announced that coal-fired power plants throughout the country must clean the coal ash waste that is a byproduct of the burning of coal. According to the agency, there are roughly 500 unprotected coal ash ponds across the country that have the potential to leak dangerous chemicals into the groundwater, including chemicals such as arsenic and mercury. This includes the Indiana-Kentucky Electric Corporation's Clifty Creek Power Plant in Madison, Indiana, and Duke Energy's Gallagher Generating Station in New Albany. This announcement represents a change in policy as the EPA of the Biden administration is once again emphasizing regulations that were not as strongly pushed under the previous administration. This move is likely to make the water in Indiana, specifically along the state's many rivers and streams, safer and cleaner for both humans and the natural environment. According to the Indianapolis Star, there are a total of 18 coal-fired power plants across the state that have a combined amount of 80 coal ash ponds. More than half of all the electricity generation in the state comes from these power plants. In the process of generating electricity through the burning of coal, coal ash is produced. The ash is collected from both the smaller particles that get captured by pollution control devices at the top of smokestacks and the heavier particles that remain after the coal is combusted. Coal ash is particularly dangerous due to the toxic chemicals that make up the substance. Based on research from the Physicians for Social Responsibility, the chemicals in coal ash include dangerous heavy metals such as mercury, lead, and chlorine, just to name a few, with the amount of each chemical differing based on the region of the country that the coal was mined from. These pollutants have the potential to cause serious harm in both humans and natural environments. Exposure to these pollutants, whether through digesting or breathing, have the potential to cause cancer, heart damage, lung disease, reproductive issues, and numerous other hazardous ailments. Under perfect circumstances, while dangerous, the pollutants pose no harm to humans due to the coal ash ponds. Ideally, the coal ash residues are stored in safe and secure ponds that keep the pollutants from entering the environment as they are lined with a barrier that contains the water. However, Many power plants have coal ash ponds that are unlined, meaning that the contaminated water can move through the soil and enter the local groundwater. Once in the groundwater, the local water sources often become dangerous to drink and often poison the nearby wildlife ecosystems. In fact, according to the Physicians of Social Responsibility, if a Hoosier is living near one of the plants that has an unlined wet ash pond and they drink well water, they have a 1 in 50 chance of developing cancer. Based on research by the Indy Star, leakage from these ponds have rendered the groundwater under 14 of the state's 18 power plants to be unsafe for human consumption. Despite this devastating news, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is offering new hope for Indiana residents. As mentioned prior, The agency is once again enforcing an Obama administration set of regulations 
that required power plants that had unsafe coal ash ponds to clean them and move the coal ash to safer storage locations. While the Trump administration weakened the regulations, the Biden administration's EPA administrator, Michael Regan, has announced that he is determined to enforce the previous regulations that hold the power plants accountable for their pollution. In the process of acting on their promises, the EPA denied new permits to operate coal ash ponds to the Indiana-Kentucky Electric Corporation's Clifty Creek Power Plant in Madison, which will now have to clean up the pollution. Many environmentalists have supported this action and similar ones as it represents a step forward in the prevention of pollution and putting a halt to industrial companies who seek to circumvent the consequences of their negative environmental actions. Hopefully soon, Indiana residents will once again be ensured that their drinking water and the environment around them will be safe enough to allow them to live long and healthy lives. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel. Up next, we have a few minutes with the mayor of a bi-weekly segment where WFHB Assistant News Director Noel Herhusky schneider asks Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about community issues. Herhusky schneider speaks with the mayor about landlord and tenant incentives and annexation. We now turn to Herhusky schneider for more. Welcome back to Minutes with the Mayor, where we ask your questions and questions we have about what's going on around town. Now talking about local politics, um, you attended the United States Conference of Mayors in Washington, D.C. this weekend. Um, are there any insights from the event that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, that is actually in front of me, Noel, oh. behind me at that conference. Alas. So I, ha I haven't um, attended, uh, but I will shortly. And I, I, we haven't gathered in person, and it's uh, extremely careful. You have to prove vaccination and boost it, and we get tested every morning. And I'm looking forward to hearing, because I always do pick up, you know, ideas and, and notions of what's going on in other cities. But frankly, it's also just... It's encouraging and, and kind of inspiring just to remember we're part of a, a big group of cities that are all trying to address many of the same issues together. And we're not alone. Each city is struggling with affordable housing and jobs and homelessness and, and all kinds of issues. And, and it sometimes is helpful, not only for specific ideas, but just to remember that we're all in this together. Sorry about that. And that what you said, though, affordable housing. So I got a text from Hoosier Action about the first Tenants' Day of Action for this Thursday. Um, they're planning to go to the State House and um, ask for more rights for tenants because apparently Indiana has some of the fewest rights for tenants and we have a lot of protection for landlords. And I'm just kind of curious about the legislation there because I don't know much about it um, until somebody, I met somebody who's in SPIA who told me about the fact that 
like we as like Indiana, I know Hand does a lot for housing around here, but they have some limitations that because they aren't able to, you know, do as much because we have so much policy protecting landlords. Um, yeah, I was just kind of curious if you could explain some of our limitations or our abilities when it comes to landlord tenant relationships and ensuring quality housing. Well, I'm glad the tenants uh, in that group is going up uh, to the state house because we do need a lot of help up there. Uh, Indiana does have very conservative, restrictive, uh, problematic laws and, and approaches in a way to affordable housing from, you know, as you mentioned, our housing and neighborhood development department, our hand department has a very robust inspection program to make sure rental housing inside the city is safe and habitable and we inspect them regularly and, and make sure they're up to stuff. But that's illegal in most parts of the state. We got grandfathered in that program uh, because we existed years ago and now they're, they don't allow anyone to do that. And they kind of keep cutting back on our program. They just over the last year reduced our ability to communicate with tenants in, in what are really inadvisable ways. So uh, absolutely and and we and that we can't have that inspection program outside city limits. So all the apartment houses and rental units that are outside city limits are not protected in the same way for safety and habitability and all that. You know, another big thing they've done. Uh, we we wanted to uh, pass what's often called inclusionary zoning, which is a way to require housing builders, people who are building particularly multifamily units, to include affordable units inclusion. Inclusionary zoning says you have to include affordable units when you build a certain number of housing units, and the General Assembly up, up in Indianapolis prohibited us from doing that by law, which is very unfortunate. Um, there, are, there are definitely uh, ways that the table is tilted uh, away from tenants, and we work really hard in Bloomington to try to do everything we can to protect and create more affordable housing and protect that. But uh, there's a lot of state uh, barriers and, you know, even even things like not allowing the, the net metering uh, to keep going for, for solar installations uh, and cutting cutting that subsidy and reducing the incentive to do that. Uh, there, there's, I think, a lot of bad choices, unfortunately, made up in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. That's actually, because one of my, my questions was, like what it would take to get legislation for incentivizing specifically. So that's disheartening to hear that some of it's actually being removed. I feel like it would just make sense to like add incentives because if you're saying, oh, like you can't put rules to stop them from doing things, could you do things like tax deductions or incentivizing, like weatherizing your house, winterizing it from like making sure your windows are more insulated and things like that and making sure you're, you would get benefits for maintaining the house yeah you know we have really good local programs and, and local groups who focus on just those kinds of things of weatherizing and energy reductions and savings and solar installations and and the city uh, with city council support we provide some subsidy for that part of recover forward trying to help families and and the organizations uh, get more solar it's just crazy because the state legislature um, took away uh, what was a basic, uh, kind of a basic right, which is called net metering, which is the idea that, hey, if I pay you X percent per kilowatt hour for the power company for what you sell me, when I produce energy on my roof and sell it back to you, you should pay me the same amount. 
Uh, and that net metering is a fair deal. It's the right thing. It helps encourage distributed generation and resilience. Yet the state legislature has has cut back on that net metering and made it less available there. Uh, so we're going to keep plugging away at it locally, but it is frustrating that we often get uh, counter efforts uh, up in the state house. Wow, I did not know that. That is, yeah, because it makes sense. Like that, yeah. If you if your solar panels are producing more, then it goes back to Duke or whoever, and then they should pay you for that. Yeah, it actually, I, I'm, t- I'm no engineer, but I'm told if you know I have solar on my house, if, I, if I'm producing more than I'm using in my house, what happens is the 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 electrons, the power goes basically to a neighbor's house. It goes right through the through the electric grid right nearby to whomever needs it, and Duke is charging them a certain amount for it. Well, they ought to pay me that much for it too, I think. So uh, that that's uh, that's that's the reduction that's getting. Uh, cut back, and I, I hope the legislature will see the see the right way. And the more people who go up and remind them of that, the better. So I'm glad a group's going up to talk about affordable housing and those more general issues. Is there anything more that we can do? Because I, you know, it's like okay, I Indiana, you know, and I hear about okay, once it actually goes to the state level, things just get harder. Um, more than just, is there anything more than like I'm going to a protest, like writing letters? Can you just Walk me through if I'm like, hey, I'm upset by that. Give me my recommendations. Well, um, look, elections always matter. Uh, of course, reaching out to elected officials and informing them, lobbying them, uh, asking them to take action, uh, pressuring them to take action is all very appropriate. We're a democracy and government belongs to us. And that kind of communication is really important. Of course, elections ultimately decide who's going to sit in those seats and cast those votes and have that authority. So, uh, you know, make sure you're registered and get involved and vote. Now, I will say at the local level, too, you know, we we encourage that participation. We also just do a lot locally to try to fill in gaps where we see them. Um, the federal government has provided a lot of money uh, in the stimulus package, which is so important. And locally here, we're focusing on what we call recover forward, which is investing in things like uh, affordable housing, millions of dollars in affordable housing and in energy conservation and, and resilience and um, supporting the local food industry. Um, you know, check out the farm stop on West 5th Street if you haven't seen that yet, which is kind of a, a, a seven days a week farmer's market that you can go get local food. So there's a lot we can do locally and you can get involved with that through city council or through our administration and boards and commissions and jump in because sometimes sometimes we just have to do what we can locally, even though we're not seeing what we want at the state house. I want to stop by that farm stop. Oh my goodness. I got the pamphlet that it was, you know, for their opening day thing and I wanted to go, but I couldn't. And I keep, I passed by it today and made a mental note that I was going to go get lunch there today, but then I didn't. So it's on my mind. It'll be open tomorrow. <laughs> open tomorrow. You can go there. All right. Did the farm stop get grants from the future forward? Yes. Uh, we've worked very closely. Uh, our economic and sustainable development Department and the Recover Forward program, uh, supported by City Council, has provided grants to the local food community, including substantial ones that help get the farm stop going. That's a that's a group of local uh, farm farmers uh, who have come together and and a consignment store. Basically, it's kind of like you know each each person can bring in their produce, uh, and it it's it is a lot like a farmer's market, but it's open every day, seven days a week. So. 
It's a little easier, for example, for restaurants or groups that want to buy a little more in bulk, perhaps, can can go there every day. But any customer also, if, uh, if it's a day that you're looking for local food, it's a great place to stop in and see. Uh, and the city helped get that going, and it's managed and run by the local local farm community. And I have one final question that is probably it's a little probably touchy maybe but um curious about members of monroe county residents against annexation claiming that they have enough signatures to remonstrate and just curious what the city of bloomington's path forward is and if there are any ramifications uh, for bloomington's future plans yeah so the annexation process is still going on it's not over uh, and uh, there are people kind of uh, jumping the gun on some of the numbers. It's a very detailed process. And as I have reminded people, maybe we're in the sixth inning of a game or something like that. I don't know. There's there's several process uh, steps to go. It's very technical. And uh, the city is very active. We'll be pursuing it. And over the next few weeks, we'll get some more numbers out that will help define where we are. You know, I'm, I, it's been no secret that I'm a proponent of annexation. I think city boundaries need to grow over time as cities grow and neighborhoods develop and grow uh, to keep a healthy, thriving city. So I'm going to continue to do what I can to, to work toward that. It's unfortunate that the state government illegally intervened. We were talking about them before. The state government illegally stopped our annexation more than four years ago now. And uh, it took us a long time to get that fixed in the courts, which agreed with us. In the meantime, they did another thing that we think is illegal in changing the waiver rules, where the law, many, many, many uh, folks uh, got city sewers and agreed to be part of the city after that. And the state legislature and others have said now they don't need to they don't need to be part of the city, even though they agreed to and got the sewer. So, so there's still things to be worked out. But I, you know, hold just. Just take a few breaths. Uh, don't despair or don't celebrate. It's too early. Whichever side of this you're on, we still have some things to work out. We're going to continue to try to, from my from my seat, I'm going to continue to try to help Bloomington be the thriving center of this whole region as a as a really strong, uh, vibrant, welcoming community. And that's that's what this is all about. If you have any questions send us an email at wfhb.org or give us a call. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. 
Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider and Nathaniel Weinsapfel in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 